send me your thoughts on this on this issue. Have you so I can read that and say your name on whatever. Just skip that part. Just delete it. Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. Welcome to the second of our Resurrection Supplemental episodes. Now, in case you weren't here for the last one or you just forgot, you might be asking, what is Resurrection Supplemental? Well, these are shorter episodes that I am doing without a co-host, where I cover other characters that are important to the Adam Warlock Thanos mythos, like Drax the Destroyer, her, and this episode's character, Mistress Death. Now, if you also listen to the Legion of Substitute podcasters and notice any similarities whatsoever between this and the Superboy Chronicle episodes that Paul French does on his solo episodes, it's because I stole the idea from him. Thanks, Paul. Last time we did one of those supplemental episodes, we talked about Death's appearance in Human Torch number 5 from 1941. Now, she supposedly had two other appearances since then before the issue we will be discussing today. The first is a Mystic Comics number 8. Of course, there are no issues of Mystic Comics available in Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited, and I don't have the money to buy any Golden Age issues, even relatively unimportant ones. So, we're not going to cover it. Deal with it. But I did look up a little bit about at least where it took place or what character she was with, so we're going to go over that real quick. Just to at least have said something about it. Like I said, Death appeared in Mystic Comics number 8 in the Black Marvel story. You might be wondering, who is the Black Marvel? Black Marvel is Daniel Lyons. And Black Marvel's origin... (laughs) Alright, the chief of the Blackfeet, not the real-life Blackfoot tribe, but the Blackfeet tribe, was holding a contest of bravery and strength. 100 members of the tribe tried and failed. Now, Daniel was the son of a white man whom the chief had saved, And I guess this allowed him to compete in the contest. And he won. Now, from everything I'm reading, the intent of the contest was to pick the next chief. Instead, the chief gave Daniel the costume of the Black Marvel, along with the responsibility to right wrongs and destroy those who would prey on the helpless. Which makes no sense. Unless, of course, the chief didn't want somebody who actually wasn't part of the tribe to be the chief. Then it makes sense. Anyway, Daniel's given the costume, and he's also given a longbow and told to put a notch in it each time he did a good deed. Only when he had 100 notches in the bow would he be truly worthy of calling himself the Black Marble. He appeared again in Mystic Comics number 5 through 9 and All Winners Comics number 1. He only showed up again as a reprint in the 1960s in an issue of Marvel Superheroes. The Black Marble had no further appearances until the 90s. When he showed up in Marvel's number one, and I'm going to assume that's just a cameo, and Captain America number 442. 
1998, Marvel did a storyline where Spider-Man had to take on four new costumed identities. Ricochet, the Hornet, Dusk, and Prodigy. After he went back to being Spider-Man, Daniel, a.k.a. the Black Marvel, took the costumes and made a deal with Mephisto, in which the costumes were imbued with powers. Daniel then gave them the four youngsters, and this was the basis for the short-lived Slingers series. At the end, Daniel died, but the Slingers were able to save his soul. In the 30th century, there are many dangers, among them hostile aliens, mad sorcerers, and guys in funny purple robes. But the worst of all of these would be continuity reboots. Having a problem telling which boy or girl or lad or lass is which? Which karate kid are you actually reading? Or what is the deal with all those legionnaires in Superman's books right now? We can help you with that. So climb into the time bubble with Paul, Darren, Matt, and Scott every Monday for in-depth analysis of the Legion of Superheroes mythos, including retro reviews, current Legion comic chat, and more fun than you can shake a Martian ice cream cone at. Legion of Substitute Podcasters, forged in the present by stories of the future. www.legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com Jumping ahead several years to 1951, Strange Tales number 2 was supposed to have the next appearance of death in the text story, Fear is Your Fortune. When I saw it was just a short text story, I thought it would be fun to do a reading of the story for the episode. Then I actually read the story. Now, if any of you out there either want to buy Strange Tales number 2 on Comixology or have Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited and want to read it, please read it. And then let me know if you can figure out if Death is actually in the story, because I can't find her. But that's enough about Strange Tales number two, because why should we talk about an issue that Death does not appear in? Let's talk about the issue she does appear in. Strange Tales number three. She's in the second story, The Man Who Never Was. Writer is unknown. Penciler, John Romita Sr. Inked by Les Zacharin. The colorist and letterer are both unknown. Edited by Stan Lee. Cover art by Carl Burgos and Don Rico. It had a cover date of October 1951. And an on-sale date of June 8th, 1951. With a cover price of 10 cents. And if you want to read this story, you can find it reprinted. In Marvel Masterworks Atlas Era Strange Tales Hardcover Volume 1. And digitally on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. This is the story of three men, Roger, Jerry, and Paul, three friends from college. One day, Roger received a call from Jerry that it's urgent they meet right away. They meet at Casey's for food and drinks, a place they must frequent a lot because Casey knows them both by name. There, Jerry tries to convince Roger that Paul has disappeared. The problem is that Roger has no idea who Paul is. Jerry tells Roger his story. A few days earlier, Jerry was near Paul's house and decided to pop in to say hi. Paul tells him about an experiment he's doing in trying to prove the existence of death. Not as a concept, but as an actual being. He wants to prove that death actually exists in a tangible form that can be detected. However, he is concerned that if he is right, why has no one ever done this before? He could only conclude that death must have done something to the others who had tried to prove the same thing. Now, Jerry just thinks Paul's overworked and tells him he'll just call him tomorrow for lunch and talk to him and see if he's feeling a little better. In the middle of the night, Jerry receives a frantic call from Paul that death is there. Jerry goes to Paul's house, 
but all I can find is an empty lot where the house once stood. He calls Paul's aunt, who raised him, but she has no idea who Paul is. He can find no one who once knew Paul, who now remembers him. Even a photograph of the three men in front of a tree now only shows Jerry and Roger. Now Roger has also forgotten Paul. For some reason, death has removed all traces of Paul from the earth, except from Jerry's mind. Roger does not believe him, thinking Jerry's having some kind of mental breakdown. Jerry goes to make a phone call, but doesn't come back. When Roger asks Casey if he saw where Jerry went, Casey has no idea who Jerry is. Roger then calls Jerry's work, but they don't know who he is either. When Roger goes back and looks at the photograph Jerry left, it now only shows Roger standing in front of the tree. Death has wiped out anyone who knew about its existence, and Roger realizes he is next. Running from the restaurant, Roger can see death coming for him, and then he is gone, leaving behind only a photograph of a tree. At the end, it is revealed that the caption boxes in the story are not just descriptions, but a narrator telling us the story. A narrator who reveals itself only at the very end. Yes, death claimed the ones who knew too much. There were three of them, Paul, Jerry, and Roger. And now there are none. Who am I, you ask? And how do I know? Naturally, I know, because I who have told you this story. I am death. Well, that was interesting. Just a few things to say about this story. Uh, first of all, I find it funny that Paul's theory about, well, since no one has ever done this before, it must mean that death has done something to them. Yes, he didn't take for the possibility that no one has done this before because no one was able to do this. Or, of course, there's always the possibility of no one has done this before because maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I understand he's a scientist, I guess. I'm assuming he's a scientist. They, no point do they say he has a doctor, you know, call him doctor or say he's a doctor or anything, or even say that's what he does. Maybe he's just a guy who does experiments. No, I'm not a scientist. So if anyone out there is a scientist, please tell me if I'm wrong. But I have to assume a scientist has to take into chance the possibility that their theory might be incorrect. Because otherwise, wouldn't they be guilty of maybe... I mean, wouldn't they be concerned about trying to have things fit to make their theory right? You know, the po accepting the possibility you could be wrong, I would assume, would make you more uh, balanced in what you're trying to do. But that's just me. Maybe I'm not wrong. Please, anyone out there who's a scientist, tell me. I want to know. But besides that, I do enjoy the story. It's a fun little... Now, at this time, this is 1951, this is what they were doing. They were doing these little twist ending stories or monster stories or whatever. But it's definitely a Twilight Zone-esque story. It makes me wonder if Bob Gale, who's a screenwriter for Back to the Future, because he has written some comics before, was he into comics then? Did he read this story? Because that's the first thing I thought of when the whole thing about the photograph changing as time changed. Did, is that where this idea came from for Bob Gale? I did like how, like I said, I liked the story, though. I liked how Death kept screwing with the one person who knew. Paul told his friend, so I guess she could have just wiped Paul's memory from Jerry's mind, and that's it. But that does go with my theory, that I said in the last supplemental and other episodes, that Death really doesn't have a plan, because Death isn't trying to win. Death is going to win. 
Death's just trying to keep itself entertained. And this definitely was a bit of fun for Death. Cruel, capricious, fun. Another reason why Death sucks. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I've ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them, and then... Well, I, I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box, a podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide every Tuesday or so at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Time to cover our feedback. Our last episode was episode 69, in which John and I covered Strange Tales number 178, which is the first issue of Adam Warlock by Jim Starlin. And I posted that on a couple places on our social media, and we got responses, which is awesome. So, on Facebook when I posted that, it was liked by Michael Siebert, Charles Butler, and Joe Sedano. On Twitter, it was liked by John M. with a comic reading problem, which is our own John, the show here, and John is obviously having way too much fun with the extra characters on Twitter, and Jason Snick Minable. Now, on Twitter, somebody else posted something. I get a notification with a tweet from Ryan Daly. Love the new episode of Resurrections by at Adam Thanos Pod and at John Reads Comics, with a link for the episode. In case you don't know who that is, Ryan Daly is a podcaster who does several shows on the Fire and Water Network, including Secret Origins Podcast, Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary and Zatanna podcast, and Midnight the Podcasting Hour, all of which are really awesome shows, and you should try to listen to at least one of them. He also has Batman Nightcast, which we are going to be playing a promo for in this episode. Or maybe we have already. I'm not sure where I'm putting that in. But either way, go listen to one of those shows. Besides that, that tweet was liked by R&D Adventures, Joe Crawford, I'm Grant Richter, and John M. with a comic reading problem, and it was retweeted by our R&D Adventures. So thanks, all of you. Thank you, Ryan. Almost forgot. Tumblr. I posted on our Tumblr page. It was liked by Mightiness. And speaking of Tumblr, it's time to continue our tradition 
of thanking a few more people who are following us on their Tumblr page and screwing up Tumblr names, because they're hard and weird. Thank you to Salinch, Mistress Death 666, Lolly Girl, Alpha Warrior 539 blog, and Empty Heart Forever. Foreverer? Forever spelled F O R E B B E R R R. So foreverer? Foreverer? Whatever. We just need more responses from you, though. So, email address resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Send us your emails and I'll read them on the show. Now, at this point, I would do the Friends and Enemies segment of the show, but none of the other books that we would do on the Friends and Enemies segment. We'll start into the 60s, except for this one, and we're already covering it. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year Three. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Collins. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, when Batman fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? That's all for this episode. Don't forget to go check out my other show, The Pop Culture Palace Presents. The newest episode, episode 6, is an interview with an old friend of mine, Matt, who came down to visit us in Florida for a few days while he ran in the Central Florida Spartan Race. And to talk about the Spartan Race and what it is. Go give that a listen, and then we'll be back here in about two weeks, so it should be New Year's Eve, with our year-end outtake clip show. We'll see you then. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.
death has wiped out anyone who knew of its death has wiped out anyone who knew of its existence. Try again. Death has wiped out anyone who knew of its. Death has wiped out anyone who knew of its. Death has wiped out anyone who knew of its. Death has wiped out anyone who knew about its. Its. I can't say that. Jesus. Death has wiped out anyone who knew about its. Its. Death has wiped out anyone who knew about its existence.